Paige Elmore from Reverie True Crime joins me, Eric Fisk, to discuss how and why she started her own podcast. Paige and I share our stories about how interviews from prior episodes changed how we feel about the genre of true crime and the specific moments we decided to concentrate more on helping the victims and survivors by assisting them in telling their stories. And why does the word allegedly come up so often in podcasts like these? Paige and I share our thoughts about two of the most controversial episodes of the Netflix reboot of Unsolved Mysteries and tease you, the audience, about an upcoming series of episodes surrounding the biggest true crime story from 1969. This is True Crime One-on-One from the Fedora Chronicles. Thank you for listening. Hey! Here's Paige. How are you? Uh, I'm. You know what? I'm a lot better now that I finally got this this Zoom thing to work. <laughs> so it was a, it was a little touch and go here because it's like I have all these devices all plugged into my audio board. So, yeah. <laughs> so if if you smell smoke, don't be alarmed. <laughs> <laughs> It's just the dust burning off of the vacuum tubes. <laughs> so, Paige, I am so happy that we... <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. This this is this is probably going to be the funniest true crime podcast that you will record today. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> so, for my listeners here, and we are recording this in advance, we're, we are actually recording this... Um, on December 6th, 2020, for our listeners, we were going to record on December 7th, but if the podcast bombs real bad, all the Pearl Harbor jokes are going to be um, obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, Paige, I wanted to have you on True Crime one-on-one from the Fedora Chronicles for a little while now. And I, I have so many questions to ask you. Why oh, I probably have way too many answers. I tend to uh, talk a lot. So Good. <laughs> you need to stop me. Just say, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the problem because the only real, we, we only have two real issues to think about and worry about. First and foremost is um, running out of time with Zoom. It's as like if you have three or more they'll kick you out after 40 minutes. Um, I also have uh, my wife yeah. who, who has a huge schedule planned out. And we were going to do this this morning, but because of a scheduling conflict and um, not getting enough sleep and <laughs> the, the storm that we had, we got about close to eight inches. And of course we had um, uh, branches and entire trees on tree uh, power lines. I didn't oh, know. No. I didn't know if I wanted to record this morning because I I didn't want the power to go out and the internet to go out in the middle of an interview. Yeah. Oh wow. I'm so sorry. That's not you. Uh, you're not the weather woman, are you? <laughs> Heck no. Okay. So let's start with the beginning. Like, who is Paige Elmore, and where do you come from? 
Well, I am from a little bitty town in Mississippi, and um, I live out in the country. I I really love it because I'm just secluded from everything, and it's just really peaceful and beautiful out here, and I don't have to deal with uh, with people. <laughs> yep. So I really like being out here kind of just secluded. Um, I'm just... Easygoing, thirty-three-year-old, chronically ill dog mom. Really, um, <laughs> just um, pretty much just passionate about animals and true crime. And um, let's see, I was diagnosed with a few chronic illnesses in two thousand and seven. So I've been pretty much homebound since then. And uh, before I got sick. Uh, I was 19 years old when I was diagnosed, and uh, I had started working at a grocery store when I was 15 uh, at a Piggly Wiggly. Those really do exist. I know a lot of people. No, <laughs> they, like, they, no they, they exist. <laughs> they they exist. I, I can tell you right now. I, I've I've been to quite a few of them when I travel yeah. across the when I when I travel across the country. That is usually the place to go. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And like some people are like, well, I've seen it in the movies, but I didn't really think that it was a real thing. <laughs> but it but it is. And I loved it, but I hated it because some people seem to like just come out from under rocks just to try and make your day a living hell just because they seem like they hate life. So I even had a turkey thrown at me by an old angry man one time. <laughs> and all the bad boys almost jumped him. So was it that was thawed or was it frozen? Was it a frozen turkey? It was turkey? frozen. That's yeah. Awful. That is awful. That is it was awful. insane. And that was the first time anything like that had happened to me. So I was just standing there like crying when I really just wanted to go off on him. But I was... I didn't know what to do. So like all the bad boys almost jumped him. So that, that was, that was a good time. <laughs> um, and then I just figured out that working with the public just wasn't for me, like at all. Um, like I love some people, but <laughs> like most people, I just, I can't like grumpy, angry people that stroll in at like six o'clock in the morning just mad at the world. Like I just realized that that wasn't my thing. And so I started working at a veterinary hospital and that was really my passion anyway. I'd always wanted to do that. And um, so I started being an assistant there in high school and um, it was really hard physically and emotionally, um, but it was always a love of mine. And then eventually uh, I was able to move up to be a technician and that was a lot of fun. So, um, but then I started passing out and having seizures out of the blue and they were having to call an ambulance almost every day for me. And um, the first time that I had a seizure there, they called 911 and my mom told me about all of this because of course, you know, I'm, un I'm unconscious. I don't know what's going on. So in the ambulance, they gave me a shot of Haldol. And for anyone who may not know what that is, that's an antipsychotic. They did not know I was having a seizure, 
because our emergency room like really sucks. And so this medicine put me in a coma for six to eight hours or so. It's just unreal. And um, so I got diagnosed like three months later. And ever since then, I've just really been at home trying to figure out what I want to do with my life since I can't drive or work. And it it took a long time to figure out what to do. I just really felt like I wasn't contributing anything to the world anymore. And I was in like a ton of abusive relationships and I was just so unhappy. And, um, but then like last year, I, um, finally discovered podcasts. There you go. Uh, Yeah. Finally, like last year, not knowing they'd been around like forever. (laughs) And, uh, and I was, but I, at first I was thinking, Oh, I don't know if I'll like podcasts. I didn't really see anything when I opened the app at first that I really liked. But then I was like, Oh, they have a true crime genre on here. Like, Oh yeah. And so, you know, I started listening and I just kind of got the idea one day that maybe I could possibly, you know, do something like that. And, and then after you give, you've given to your life, to your true crime, uh, crime calling <laughs> things things always get a little weird what's what's the one case that really hooked you into true crime Ooh, um <clears throat> i guess when i was a teenager and probably in 98 or 99 when the internet started really becoming a thing you know when i was little i would watch Rescue 911 or Cops, Unsolved Mysteries, America's Most Wanted, something like that my parents would always have on. So I would just always see it. And so when the internet became a thing, um, I was just really curious about these um, people like Charlie Manson and Dahmer and Bundy who I'd heard about. But now you have the internet to, you know, go and read and like really dive into these things. So I think Charles Manson might've been my first real dive into like true crime. So that, I think that's probably like a super basic answer, but like, I think a lot of people would say like those people, but they were sent, they're like sensationalized. So that's really the only kind of big names that you heard of. Um, So yeah, Charlie Manson probably. It seems like Charlie Manson comes up a lot in these um, in these episodes about true crime, whether it's my my series or anybody else's series. What's what is your take on Charlie Manson and what is it about him that made him? There's no other way to say it. Charlie Manson. (laughs) What what made Charlie Manson? And I don't want to use the word legend because it obviously gives a con- a positive connotation. Right. But the thing is, is that what made Charlie Manson so charismatic? I think the thing about it is, okay, and I, and I may get raked over the coals for it, um, but I just think that he didn't really have uh, 
okay, so you've got this cult following and you've got this commune. And I think like a lot of people like myself, personally, I love the 60s and 70s and I wish I would have been a hippie back in the day. And it's just that part was intriguing to me. And the fact that he didn't actually kill anybody, but he is called a serial killer. It, that's just all really fascinating to me. And seeing his interviews and stuff, like I hate it, but right. a lot of the things he says make sense. That's the and crazy like, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I hate that I'm agreeing with this dude. And like, I feel bad because, you know, we're supposed to hate him and, you know, he's done some awful things, but he didn't do it himself, you know, and these people didn't have to do it. They didn't have to go out there and do that. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's wild. It's wild that he's the one that gets labeled the serial killer. And I feel like maybe a hitman or something, but serial killer. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I read this book by Tom O'Neill. It's the book is called chaos, Charlie Manson, the CIA and the secret history of the sixties. And Ooh. the crazy thing about this book Tom O'Neill tells the story of how it took him 20 years to write this book. Wow. It's, it's really, it's a, it's a, a really meta if it's, it, it is the best way to describe that. I know I hate that word, that word or that phrase where it gets overused. <laughs> but the thing is, is that the book chaos, Charlie Manson, the CIA and the secret history of the sixties. A lot of it is about, Tom O'Neill writing the book and how it took him so many efforts and so many false starts and how he tried so hard to get into all of these archives, whether it was from the Justice Department of the United States or the California system. Um, he just goes on this journey and sort of stumbles across the evidence that somehow perhaps maybe, and he's, he's not definite on this. He definitely gives you all the details about how Charlie Manson may or may not have been a, a, a part of M MK ultra, which is, Ooh. you know, about MK ultra. Uh -huh. <laughs> all right. How can you be, yeah. a, how can you be a um, conspiracy theorist and not know uh, about MK Ultra. Yeah, huh? Exactly. And the evidence is overwhelming. Is that with the LSD experiments uh -huh. that the CIA was uh, performing and committing in yes. California? There's just no way that Charlie Manson wasn't a part of that. Oh, I am loving this theory, and I believe it. I have got to get you a copy of this book, and and I, wanna, I will totally order it today. Like I want to read that. Oh my gosh, well, I'm going to order it. Here's the question: Do you do Kindle? Do you do audiobooks? Do you do? I, or do you do paperback? I I love a paperback. I'm not going to lie. Like I love um holding a book and reading you know what i mean i don't unless i'm listening to a podcast that's cool but like for books i love yeah. to hold it and read it and it's just 
it's old school, but that's the way I've always loved to to do. So you're going to have to send me your address. No, um, no, no. I'm going to order it myself. I pr- no, no. All right. Okay. Well, then here's the, here's the deal. I am I am going to send you uh, the link to this right now. And I want to promise the listeners, as soon as Paige gets done with this book, we, we're, we're going to do an episode just oh, on yeah. this book. And I'm going to, I've been looking for an excuse to have Tom O'Neill come on the show and talk about this. He's going to be like... I think he's going to be my my tenth or fifteenth author interview, and I'm telling you right now, and I, I'm telling I'm telling you the audience right now, I'm sending this link, if it will copy. Oh, I'm so excited! This is like one of those, and I'm I'm I, so I just sent you the link, and this is this is one of those books that I promise you, that is going to change the way that you look at Charlie Manson and the Manson family. And the CIA. I can already tell. I can I can already tell, and I'm nerding out. Like I'm so excited. Yeah, it's it's it is one of those books. So, welcome to True Crime Book Club with Paige and Eric. <laughs> yeah, woohoo! Woo-hoo. <laughs> um, now, how when you're covering a true crime story? Whether you're mm-hmm. writing about it or you're podcasting about it, how do you handle the gory details? This is really funny because when I started podcasting, it was all about um, doing it out of a hobby, really. And I, the way I started, you will, you will completely die. I was using my phone to record. Yep. <laughs> And I was writing things by hand and I was like, what would other people more want to hear? And I was really like, oh, people really want to hear the gore and stuff like that. And I was really like, I don't know. I was thinking too much of what other people may want to hear than really doing it the way that I wanted to. So now I handle it a lot differently than I would before. It was really hard for me to find my groove at first and like how I wanted to tell the story and, you know, what do I kind of want to leave out and do I really want to tell all these things? It, you know, it was really a growing and learning process, but now I try to give out trigger warnings if I remember to, but I think if you're listening to a true crime podcast, like you should know kind of that, you know, details are probably going to be told, but some people, I don't know, they expect a trigger warning every time. And sometimes I just forget, but the way I look at it now is you at least need to know what that victim went through. Yeah. And, I just feel like the details are important, but I was doing it for the wrong reasons in the beginning because I was like, oh, people want to hear, you know, the the gory details and it's all about that and it's not. And I was like, I really don't like the way that I'm writing things. I don't like the way that I'm like my first 20 or so episodes. I really just don't like. Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's, it's, oh man, not only the audio, but just everything. And, you know, I finally came to grips that, you know, I'm going to do it how I want to do it. And, you know, if people listen, that's great. You know, if just one person finds it interesting and wants to listen, that's cool. You know, it's not about, um, getting like a ton of listeners and trying to make it so gross and all this stuff it's you know I was like this is just not what it's about it's about the victim and for me if I go into detail about that it's because I feel like it's really important that we know what happened and what they endured you know it's it's so sad and you know people I don't know I just feel like it's really important that the victim's story is told as it you know even if it's terrible details you know it's it's what happened and it's what could happen to people and I just feel like bringing awareness to that is really important I think every one of us has that moment where they realize oh crap I'm I'm in this for the wrong reasons and I need to change my heart I I did an interview with Jenny Carreri. And whenever mm. I talk about doing true crime episodes, I can tell you exactly there was a where I was and what I was thinking and what I was doing when I realized I needed to completely, totally change my approach. Jenny was talking about trying to find who killed her her twin sister. Uh-huh. And this is this is absolutely totally horrible. And to be talking about a missing persons case like this or an unsolved murder is Mm -hmm. that um, there's a real person who passed away and there's a family who are looking for answers and looking for closures. And Mm -hmm. the worst aspect of all of this is that there are some people who do it because oh, it's true crime is the hot thing now. And there's, right. a little, and there's a little bit of exploitation in it. Right. And then there are other people who, um, like uh, like Ariel Cooksley, she, like mm-hmm. she's in it to solve these crimes or to help you understand the... The psychology. The psychology and, of it. Yeah. And it was just like, like uh, holy first of all um ariel found a uh, her niche getting into the psychology of true yeah. crime and that you get trying to get into people's heads and trying to understand an aspect of human nature that people try and shy away from she's probably one of the bravest people on the internet that i know of and then there are people like you who you listen to your show and there's an evolution like, yeah, I, I hope so. You know, it, man, it started out rough, and but I knew it's what I wanted to do because I've always been so intrigued by it. But, you know, I just didn't know how to approach it at first because I was thinking about, I was thinking too much about what other people might want to hear. Right. And so I was just so confused. It's not. Here's the other thing that a lot of people don't seem to understand. And you won't understand it until you get into it. Mm-hmm. This is the hardest thing you could possibly imagine doing. 
it truly is the emotional and mental drainage and what you feel when you're reading and writing about these things is on another level. It's and it's mind blowing when I think about the number of people within the true crime family mm-hmm. that fall into two categories. The first category are the flash in the pans, the exploitive people who are doing it because it's the it's it's the hot ticket. Everybody's doing it. I, I might as well do it too. And then there are the other people who are like, I got to do what I can to help solve these crimes or or shine a light on human nature. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can see that or listen to that evolution through, through your podcast. Um, One of the things I also, and I, I ask this of everybody when I do these interviews, um, what's, What's your white whale? What is the one true crime that you keep returning to and the one that keeps you up at night? To be honest with you, the one that really just, and I'm going to tell you, this is a kind of a long story, but it's Elisa Lamb. And Mm -hmm. I want to tell you why. Man. When I was writing this episode and I was watching the videos, and there's actually a couple like this, though, like uh, Kanika Jenkins and um, uh, Kendrick Johnson and like a lot of these cases where you just want them to to, to have all the answers. And I was writing this episode about Elisa, and I swear to you, God, this is going to make me sound insane. No, go ahead. But I was, I was so into it, and it, it honestly scared me as I was writing about it because I was just getting goosebumps. But out of the corner of my eye, I kept seeing a female shadow, and I was like, "This is just my brain playing tricks on me." You know, I need to chill out. But over the next couple of nights of still writing, I would see a female figure in the corner of my eye and I'm t- I could not sleep. And ever since then, I think I think about her case a lot and I just want to know like what happened. Right. And you know, the Kanika Jenkins uh case is really odd to me. It's kind of the same thing as Elisa as where I feel like there was edited video. And it's kind of that situation where you feel like there was people taken out of the video. Um, If you are like me, I've watched these YouTube like conspiracy videos. Well, they're they're like showing you the CCTV footage or whatever. And they'll show you where it looks like somebody was like right here and like pulling them this way. Mm -hmm. And it where you can see it doesn't really look natural. And it's the cases like that where you can see it doesn't look normal and there's no answers that really, oh, I just, I just hope one day that we know. Yeah. What can you just summarize really quickly? Uh, what was the case, which, what happened to, uh, is, is it Elisa Lamb? Uh-huh. 
What what yeah. exactly? What tell? Can you just tell our listeners just really briefly what's what's the story? What happened? Well, basically, she was traveling to America and she stayed at the um, uh, Cecil Hotel, and that's where a lot of people like Richard Ramirez and a lot of I think. Uh, Dahmer stayed there and then somebody else uh, I can't think of his name but he stayed mm-hmm. there because Dahmer stayed there but a lot of weird things have happened at this hotel and it you know American Horror Story Hotel was based off of it and um, so she's at this uh, hotel and we see her in the elevator and it looks like she's either scared of something she's like crouching in the corner she's pushing all these buttons and the elevator doors never shut and she's like peeking her head out and then she she's just acting really weird and you can't tell if somebody was actually there if she was hiding from someone or what happened and then the next thing you know people are saying that their water is either black or it tastes funny or, you know, something's just not right with the water. And when they check the uh, water uh, tower thing, <laughs> yeah. um, they find her body in there. And they can't figure out how she got in there because the the um, the door or the top of it was shut. And if you fall into that, it would be really hard to shut that yourself and... I mean, it, the whole thing is just so weird. There's a lot of things about that case and the parallel with the movie that I think was released earlier. Yes, what was that? Dark, I remember mentioning that. Dark Water. It's the it's yes. a movie called Dark Water. Um, it's directed by uh, Walter Sales, and it stars Jennifer Conley. I'm trying to think here, looking at... I just had I just had to cough up the the uh, the IMDb page. Stars Jennifer Conley, Tim Roth with John C. Riley, Pete Postlewith, Wythe, uh, and these other people that I am not familiar with. Oh, Don Gray Scott, who was in Enigma, he was in this. I I think it's the the parallels between the real the the story, the real story and the movie are very eerily familiar. Oh, yes. The thing that sort of freaks me out is that her body was decaying in in the water tower and people actually drank that water. Yes, I I know. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Washing, bathing, drinking that water. And it was just like, that's somebody's human remains. And I'm just kind of like, you would think that the minute a, 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 a guest says there's something wrong with the water. You check that out pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, there's so many things about this story that um, I don't know what to make of it myself. I don't either. And, you know, I know that it was said that she did struggle with mental uh, illnesses. And there's a part of me that thinks that, you know, maybe she accidentally fell in or, you know, but when you watch that video, it's like somebody was there, but they edited it. And I just don't know what to make of it. I yeah. really don't. But the way that the movie came out before this and right. how similar it is, 
that's what's really strange. It's almost as if somebody got the idea from the movie. Yes, uh, I've thought that too. Ugh. It, it's just it, it's just one of those. Um, it's haunting. It, it's really haunting. And 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 again. This is the thing that a lot of people don't seem to really sort of understand about people like us who do either true crime episodes or just focus solely on true crime. Mm -hmm. um, we do get obsessed with a story for two different reasons. It's either that there's something, there is something about this case that doesn't seem right. Doesn't it just... Mm -hmm. There's something, there's a detail that, that catches us and we yeah. cannot seem to let it go. Mm -hmm. And then there are the other, whereas is like the, the victim and the victim's story reminds mm -hmm. us something about ourselves. Yes. Or, yes. Like that could be, like that could be you. Like yes. I traveled alone to Los Angeles and I stayed Ooh. in a weird hotel <laughs> for uh, for four days this is giving me anxiety just <laughs> thinking about it oh and then to come and find out oh yeah bad things happened at that hotel <laughs> yeah well thank because yeah. the thing is i was in room 213 and oh thank god nothing happened in the in that weird room well as a matter of fact room 213 is where they found several dead bodies you know oh years wow that is just there. That's your luck right there. Oh my gosh. That's it. That's it. And who were oh. the, who, who were those people? And yeah. I'm, and I'm actually going through our my archives real quick. And this is the this is the the, the blessing and the curse of uh, of having everything at your fingertips here. Yeah, cuz um, it can it can be scary. One of one of the episodes that Jay and I have to re-record is we did a podcast on the mysterious death of Jack Wheeler. And Jack Okay, and that name sounds familiar. Jack uh his story was featured on episode one, season two of Unsolved Mysteries. Okay. And the thing about Jack Wheeler, and a lot of this is one of the things that I I I just simply could not understand. He he lived in a house. Um, I'm trying to remember specifically where his house was because when we recorded the episode, um, we sort of we sort of got it wrong and we had to go back and we just decided we're we're not we're not going to actually air this episode because uh, there are too many mistakes and too many parts that we have to sort of. I'm actually looking at here. Jack Wheeler had a house in Newcastle, Delaware. And his job was on the other side of Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, in Virginia. So he had to commute at least maybe two and a half, almost three hours by car or by train. Meanwhile, yeah. his wife had... Her house, she lived in a house in the New York City metropolitan area. Okay, this story's kind of coming back to me as you're as you're talking about okay. it. I'm kind of 
and his house was across the street from uh, a a waterfront park in Newcastle, Delaware. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, he freaked out when somebody was building a house across the street from him that blocked his view. That in and of itself seems a little kind of weird and extreme. Mm-hmm. Thi- it does. The thing that sort of caught Jay and I by surprise is that there's something about this house. He was overly attached to this one house. And he lived at this house. He maintained the house. Um, he did everything that a homeowner does with with his house. That's at least two hours, if not two hours and 50 minutes away from his job. Jay and I actually did yeah. in real time. How long would it was the average commute to work? And he mostly took the train, and that could be up to three hours. Wow. And then on the weekends and vacations and holidays, he commuted back. So you've really got to love where you live. Yeah. He really loved that house. Yeah. And on uh, uh, on weekends, vacations, and holidays, he commuted back home to his wife from Newcastle, Delaware, to New York City. Wow. That's a, And that's a long haul. And yeah. he did all of his, he did, so, he spent his time on the train doing business on a cell phone. That in and of itself is unusual. Yeah. Do we know why he and his wife didn't live together? I have no idea. That's one of the things that we tried to piece together. Second of, second of all, he worked for the, for the Pentagon for a while. And one of the things that he had allegedly uncovered and this goes way way down the rabbit hole oh goodness he allegedly stumbled onto evidence of the united states military using chemical warfare Mm. during the 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 second iraq war and allegedly the the night of his death he had been wandering around the basement of an office building that's kind of yes we're trying yes. to figure out why was he why it was almost as if he was looking for something he yeah was, yeah I, I remember this now i, I do it, it's so weird he was obs- like what, yeah he was obsessed with what was in this basement okay is he the one that was in the parking garage and they caught him on camera kind of right. acting really weird and then he ended up in this basement he ended up in the basement. He's seen on camera wandering the basement of this office building. And he's wearing someone else's clothes, right? That's the other thing that's kind of like, well, why is he wearing somebody? For where did he get those clothes? Yeah. Because he's in the basement. He's wearing his own clothes. And then later on, he's seen wearing somebody else's clothes. <sighs> he's seen the last time we see him. Is and by the way, this office building is not in Newcastle, Delaware. I I believe it's in Wilmington, Delaware. It's a, it's in a different city, dozens of miles away from his home. Right? So weird. So then he's seen on camera yeah. walking down the street 
walking by this hotel, then perhaps maybe a day, or half a day later, his body turns up in, um, in a landfill, in a dump, mm-hmm. because his body was left in, um, yeah, well, you know, you know, oh, it was in a uh, garbage dump, in a garbage, in garbage dump, dump. in a yeah, dumpster. And- his, yeah. his body was left in a dumpster. He suffered a major heart attack. He had, he, obviously, he had been physically abused and he had blunt force trauma to the head. If the heart attack didn't kill him, this wound to the head would have. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching this episode of Unsolved Mysteries and I keep asking over and over and over again, what was he doing in that building? I know. Is this one of those cases for you that like you think about a lot? Oh, since I've watched this episode, I do think about this often. Now, what is it about that house mm-hmm. that he couldn't leave? And this is not a small little house. This isn't like one of those like little cottages. This is like a house. Like I, I think it's a two or three bedroom house. It has. I, I think it has two and a half baths. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't he move out of this house? What was it about this attachment to this house? Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't he want to live with his wife? And just the travel to work was so long. Right. But it almost allegedly seems like somebody knew he knew too much. Right. Or. It's one of those cases like these that just gets you so worked up that sometimes you don't want to let it go. Yeah. And you just want to keep digging and digging. And then when you hit the bottom of it and it's like there's nothing left, it gets I don't know. It's it's something about emotional attachment to these cases, too. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) It's it's It's, it's, it's super frustrating. Trying to explain the obsession that we have with certain cases. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray Rivera is another one yep. that yep. really, that story, oh, tell, tell I think about, about it a one. lot. Tell us about that one. So oh, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I remember. Okay. Um, so him and his wife, well, he was actually okay. Tell me, tell me where he was staying. I know what happened. Let's look like it up. The, let's, let's look it up on Duck Duck Go really quickly. What, what's the name again? Uh, Ray Rivera. You know, I remember the incident, and I know my theories about it, yep. but I yep. don't really remember the beginning and all of that. But I remember the meat of it. Right. This is another one. What is it? About Maryland. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's either Maryland or Delaware. The, yeah. the entire, it's like, you know how it's like they call the area around Washington, D.C.? They call that the Beltway. They should call that the Circle of Death. You know? Yeah. Because there yes. are all these like crazy, captivating, weird disappearances around the and, then, and just to throw out the name Chandra Levy. Yes. Okay. So uh, that name is, she, I know, she, but I can't think. She was having an affair with uh, Congressman Gary Condit 
and it uh-huh. was it was America's obsession right up until September tenth, two thousand one, and then uh-huh. and then September eleventh happened, and people just sort of like forgot about yeah. it. No, and the thing is, is that what Chandra Levy could have been the victim of a serial killer who was stalking women in the park where Chandra Levy used to jog at once a day, several times a week. Oh. Um, and Gary Condit probably, probably didn't do it, but there's a lot of things about Gary Condit that just seems kind of skeevy. As uh-huh. were. Like I maybe he yep. got someone else allegedly to. Yep. Um, we have to say allegedly a lot too, which oh, I, you know, <laughs> that should, that honestly, that, that should be the name of the, the series. Uh, Allegedly, allegedly, with, <laughs> allegedly, with Paige Elmore. Um, I love that. <laughs> here we go. Here um, on May, and I'm this. And whenever I do this, I always, I always tell people where I'm reading this. This, yeah. this is posted on Wikipedia. Take it with a grain of salt. On May twenty yes. fourth, two thousand six, the body of Ray, Ray Rivera was found inside the historic Belvedere Hotel in the Mount Vernon neighborhood of Baltimore, Maryland. Although the event was ruled a probable suicide by the Baltimore Police Department, the circumstances of Rivera's death are mysterious and disputed. Let's also interject here that one of the things that Jenny Curry and I have talked about in the episode that we did together and follow-up conversations just between the two of us, the Baltimore Police Department has huge problems with corruptions and uh, incompetence, allegedly. Allegedly, yes, I've heard that too, and I've also heard that about the LAPD. Exactly. The so, um, Rivera went missing from his residence on May sixteenth, two thousand and six, after receiving a phone call from the Angora Publishing Switchboard, according to a guest staying at the Riviera Hotel at the time. After several days of searching for clues about Rivera's whereabouts, his wife's parents found his car located in a parking lot off of St. Paul Street in Mount Vernon near his workplace. Rivera's co-workers went to the top of the parking structure near where the car was discovered and noticed a hole in the roof of the south wing of the Belvedere Hotel. Police soon discovered Rivera's partially decomposed body inside the conference room under the roof's hole. This is like, again, one of those stories that has been covered by Unsolved Mysteries Mm -hmm. on Netflix. Yes. This is like one of those where it's like the more that you look at this. Now, the more that you look at this, the more that you, you wonder... There's a part of this that we're that, that's not making a lot of sense here. Oh, there's a there's so much that does not make sense to me. Now the thing like, is, yeah. Now you go ahead and you tell me what you think. Okay. Happened. <laughs> By the way, we're also looking at uh, 48 minutes, so Zoom hasn't cut us off yet. Okay. So go for it. What What do you think happened? Well, okay. So they found that his glasses his phone everything seemed to be sat on this 
there's like a roof and then there's the uh landing where he fell into the roof uh uh, the hole and it's like somebody pushed him off the top of this building but if you were to be pushed off the top i think your phone would break i think that these things wouldn't just be placed there right so at first i don't know i had this had this idea that maybe like there was um this helicopter or something that could have been involved but people said they didn't hear that but they heard the crash but you know if you're used to hearing uh helicopters and stuff like we're used to hearing that but you're not used to hearing a big crash then maybe you just don't even remember hearing the helicopter um but i just feel like somebody really methodically plan this to where they dropped him down there somehow. I mean, right. there's no way this was suicide to me. There's, there's so many things about this that I think is shocking. Whereas he received a phone call, he got into a panic, got in his car and then he up and disappeared. Mm-hmm. And that, it's like somebody lured him. Exactly. And another aspect of this is that what was going on with the insurance? Now, now this is this is a rhetorical question. Mm-hmm. What was going on with the investment firm that he and his friend were trying to start and launch? Because mm-hmm. one of the things is that so many people have said that um, there's something sketchy about the investment firm. He found out that yeah. they were invest they were investing in the in the sketchy um, business. That they had no, there was like maybe there was like money commingled with with international terrorism and all like that. When you see a, a TV show like Unsolved Mysteries trying to bring these cases to light, you got to realize that it's quote infotainment, meaning it's information guised as entertainment. You mm-hmm. kind of they kind of have to hype it up just a little bit. So you have to take everything with the grain of salt. When you're a podcaster, your second second favorite word is allegedly. Right. You have to say, this is according to the Baltimore Sun. This is is according to the Netflix series Unsolved Mysteries. Exactly. And then... um, you get your favorite pet conspiracy theories. Just take it back to Charlie Manson for a second and Tom O'Neill's book. Whereas you spend so much time on a case, there's some hole or gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're trying to think about how come, how come nobody is looking more at Jack Wheeler's house, taking it back there for a second. And yeah. Then, and then you get, then you get this idea inside your head. He was sitting on something. He mm-hmm. had, he, he, there's something in this house that he was guarding. Somebody broke yeah. into Jack Wheeler's house looking for something. What was it that they were looking for? And you get attached to that and you start speculating. And then you speculate yeah. it on so long, then that becomes your theory. That becomes, and it's your, hard. Yeah. It's hard to look at it any other way, too. When you get something in your mind, it's, 
when you read someone else's theory, it's like, yeah, but this well, is, you know, this is what I think. You know, and, <laughs> and it's and you're always looking for that new high. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, um, and what's unfortunate, we have to keep reminding us and each other of this. We have to remind ourselves and our fellow true crime podcasters. We're talking about we're talking about people who like who, who died. We're talking yeah. about people who this is this is this is not this is not just a TV show. This is not like Game of Thrones. This is not make believe. Right. These are like real people who have passed away, and there are family members who want the answers. Yes. Um. I also look at someone like Sarah Turney. Yes, I was just about to uh, kind of uh, tell you that uh, one thing, and I definitely want to talk about her situation, yep. but one thing that really uh, transformed what I was doing was when I talked to Eric Landine, yep. and, and he came on the show, and he was telling me his story, and Michelle Barton telling me about Tanner. And it's those things when people sit down and talk to you, it's it's something about it that just makes you want to solve everything in the world. And it, it really inspired me to change the way that I told certain stories. Yeah. And it's, you know, Alyssa Turney's case is, man... It's, I he, really hope they get that justice, you know? Yeah. Um, Soon. <laughs> here's the other thing that I have noticed, in, in and I want to compare notes with you, with you on this. All right. The vast majority of all the cases that I have covered so far, um, they know who did it. Right. They know... They know who the victim is and they know who murdered yes. the victim. Either it's a conspiracy between the police and the prosecutors and the suspect, or mm-hmm. it's a conspiracy of incompetence. Like in Jenny Carreri's case, the the police botched the investigation. Mm-hmm. And that... They're just kind of hoping the family would go away. Yes. That to me is heartbreaking. Yeah. And is that a theme that you've noticed a lot? Have you have you sort of also come oh, across that? All the time. And you often it happens so much that I have to start wondering if they're doing this crap on purpose. Yeah. Because it's like, why do you not, like, I just um, went over the Rebecca's the Howe case with Jules from Riddle Me That. And it's like, how do you see all of this stuff and you rule it a suicide? It's like you've got every single piece in front of you that tells you you need to investigate this like it's a homicide and you don't. Exactly. Why? Exactly. And, you know, talking to the to families of victims, they know exactly who did it. And it's like, why are the cops not doing their jobs? Why are investigators not doing their jobs? I don't understand. God, that's the worst part. That's that's the worst part. The thing is, is that um, I recorded my episode with Eric Carter Landine this early summer and right around that time. 
Jay Cousin and Owen and I were doing our uh, episode on Pizzagate and trying to debunk oh, yeah. a, a lot of that. And I went down this rabbit hole going on the dark web. Oof. Trying, I, I haven't gone there yet. Don't. I, I, oh, my God. I don't. Can't. Don't. My God. Is, that it terrifies is, me. It's a, it's a level of hell that yeah. I still haven't recovered from. And for whatever reason, um, my hard drive, my solid state hard drive on my computer crashed. Stop it. And I had to I had to wait a week and a half to get it replaced by Dell. Oh my God. And I was I was afraid that I had lost the interview with Eric Carter Landine. And when oh. he had said, Hey, are you ever going to publish that episode? <laughs> Thank God for the task cam because I now I record everything exclusively off the task cam external recorder and I put everything on it. His story and my story have a lot of parallels. My brother was not killed by my mother's boyfriend, you know, a common-law husband. Um, but there's a lot of things that he went through and is similar to what I went through. It was emotionally draining. Yeah. And looking at the other cases that we've been working on, um, calling this one up here, right here, like Amanda Shirley's, case for her brother d um dj yes they know who killed dj yes they know who killed him but they don't have enough quote evidence yeah that oh man Whew, those kind of things it just runs hot through your blood yeah it just like how, so how, how, how can you not do something about that yeah. And how can you not care? Like, it's, I feel like a lot of it is like, where is your compassion? Where is your care for people? Yes. And getting justice. Like, where is it? Where, where did you lose that? Right. I, I like, you're a cop, but you can't do your job because of reasons, whether it's internal politics or whatever. It drives, it yeah. really sort of drives me crazy. Um, yeah. It's, it's just so much corruption and stuff that it's 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 maddening and then although it is you know and it was just like if you are not a crusader and if you are not somebody who like obsesses about finding um justice for these people mm -hmm. you're doing something wrong or you have a heart of stone because mm -hmm. exactly this will change you and who you are I, I do need to wrap it up, and I want to wrap it up by asking you this one question. Well, actually, two questions. Um, the first okay. one is, what's next? What are you working on for episode, I guess it's, you're, you're looking at episode 71. Yes, tonight is actually, since we're talking about this, uh, John Allure came on and talked to me about uh, his sister, Teresa. So that's coming out tonight. And I really hope that, you know, a lot of people get to hear it. Maybe that haven't heard it before. You know, uh, he came out with a book called Wish You Were Here. And that story just rips me apart. And uh, so he talked to me about that. Um, let's see. I... 
I know that I'm going to be doing a few cultish uh, episodes soon, just kind of venturing out because sometimes sticking on a serial killer like that pattern or sticking on a missing person, like doing missing person after missing person or killer after killer, it kind of just like, I don't know, I can't can't stay on that same track i have to do a different kind of episode every week or i'll just drive myself insane so um i do have a cult-like episode coming up i have another devastating child's case uh baby peter Connolly, coming up um I've really been obsessed with these uh, child cases lately yep. because it's upset me so bad. Um, I did a little um, baby, um, oh, the toddler that I can't believe I'm blanking out right now. There's so um, many of them. There's so many of yeah. them. Well, you're thinking about, I just want to read this. This Is this the book, Wish You Were Here? A Murdered Girl, A Brother's Quest, and The Hunt for yeah. a Serial Killer uh, by John yes. Allure and Patricia Pearson. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's a really good... It's, oh, I, I highly recommend that. Yep. And also, it also sounds like you have a bit of a struggle there. It sounds like somebody's trying to grab the microphone from you. I don't know if I... Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. Does it... Uh-oh. It, like, it just sounds like you were breaking up a couple of times uh sorry about that it's, it's okay it's okay I, I was i was wondering if one of the one of the one of the animals that you're taking over is kind of like rubbing up against the phone <laughs> oh gosh well i have to close my door whenever i try to record with someone because they will be all over um yeah <laughs> the place and so um okay so james so jamie the baby jamie bulger james bulger uh-huh that's you know i've just been so obsessed and like i have the oklahoma uh, girl scout murders coming up too and these child cases really just have been sticking with me and i've got to get out of that before it just eats me alive and i've got to go on to other things to kind of break up that pattern that i'm really exactly. stuck in right yeah. now yeah and i yeah. know a lot of people really can't listen to children's cases but they're so important it's like you really need to hear this and it needs more awareness you know because that could be your child or somebody you know their children and it's just so important it it really is it's the last question i i because I, I have a hard break do you want to try and come back in a month Sometime in Jan early January, after you finish reading um, yes. Chaos, yes. I, I, I have to sit down with somebody and, and do an entire episode on this book. Yes, and I would love to uh, read it and then like we can message back and forth and kind of set it up. Absolutely. I would love that. So give a plug. Tell everybody where we can find you. Well, uh, the podcast is called Reverie True Crime, and I'm on Twitter at Reverie Crime Pod, and other, every other social uh, media platform is Reverie True Crime, and yeah, 
I'm always down to talk to people and get listener suggestions. I love getting listener suggestions. That's like all November and December and a lot of January really is our listener suggestions and you can email them to me at reverietruecrime at gmail.com that's awesome I cannot wait to hear your next episode that you're releasing tonight and I cannot wait to Uh, talk to you again Oh, I can't wait either I feel like I could talk to you just all day This has been True Crime One-on-One from the Fedora Chronicles. Find out more about our podcasts on the Fedora Chronicles Network by visiting our website, thefedorachronicles.com, where you can find our show notes, past episodes, and articles. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by simply searching for the Fedora Chronicles on those platforms. Don't forget to join our group on Facebook after you found it so you can keep up with what we will be talking about in the next episode. Facebook, Twitter, and our email address, fedorachronicle at gmail.com, are great ways to drop us a line with comments and future show topic suggestions. We might even read your comment on the air. Support the show by contributing to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash fedorachronicles. For a mere dollar a month, you get early access to the podcast, updates on what we're doing, and for $5 a month, you get all that and a t-shirt and coffee mug. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to all of our listeners who are already contributing. You can also support the show and show off your incredible, impeccable taste by buying our merch at Zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. Our theme song for True Crime One-on-One is Cliffhanger by Olive Music from Premium Beat which provided the license for the song. The Fedora Chronicles radio show and our other podcasts is edited and produced by Eric Render King Fisk. That's me. Copyright, The Fedora Chronicles, 2020. All rights reserved.